there, everyone. It's been such an amazing experience having television developed over the past few decades. I've been given this opportunity to share all these amazing true stories and advertisements with you. As we all know, this time has been a very controversial one, dealing with all the war that American soldiers have been engaging in, especially with the containment ideology. To explain more of this to us, we have Jim Taylor, who was recently drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. Hello, thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course, so if you could, could you please explain your experience so far with being in the United States Army? Well, honestly, it hasn't been too great, but it can also be worse. To start off, I was drafted and assigned to fight in this army involuntarily. But under the President Lyndon B. Johnson's orders, which all find in the name of... Democracy? Yes, trust me, all the soldiers know. Every single day we have to go to training and we receive a full speech on why us being here is necessary. The leading trainers and generals always thank us for our participation, but more often, often than not, a few soldiers scoff because... Well, we didn't really want to come in the first place. Well, at least you're doing a great service for our country. How'd you come to find out your fate? Well, when I heard the news, I was in my government class. Ironic, I know, right? Little backstory. Before I heard of the draft, I used to love my government class because I wanted so badly to become a politician or maybe even a president one day because leaders like Kennedy always inspired me to fight with peace. I mean, the way he ordered the quarantine during the Cuban Missile Crisis, wow, so inspiring and calm. We had heard of the breaking news of the Gulf of Tonkin bombing of two U.S. ships and I had hoped that Johnson would respond in a peaceful and logical way. But shortly after, when we heard of the draft, I despised him because all I could do was helplessly go. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about that, but we have to agree that Johnson has good intentions, right? Could you tell me more about your actual experience so far in training? Well, it's pretty gruesome. Before I left to train, my mom told me that it was ridiculous how they were trying to turn boys into men in a matter of only a couple of months. However, I think the training has helped me to actually become less excited for war to fight in the name of a country that supposedly gives everyone a voice when mine wasn't heard of when trying to decline the draft. Well, to lighten the subject, the government here is much better than over there in Vietnam. I gotta agree on that one. Yeah, do you see all those monks literally burning up in flames in the middle of the street? What? Ah, uh, never mind, I'm just playing with you. Okay, well, I shouldn't be too worried though, right? I think the United States will take down the North pretty easily. We just gotta show up, scare them a little, and everything will be fine. We have plenty of bombs, although the Soviets had recently caught up to us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it'll be fine. Good luck, Soldier Taylor, and I'll see you here on the show after the war. Oh, I forgot, um, any advertisements you'd like to share to the public? Um, yes. First of all, please refrain from buying lots of products so that they can be sent to us in Vietnam and help the war efforts in any way you can. Make films about it, women take over the jobs, and anybody who would like to volunteer by helping in medical aid or cooking for us, please come with us to Vietnam. Well, thank you. I'll see you in 11 years, I guess. Soldier John Simon? Soldier Jim Taylor, where, where are you guys? Unfortunately, he had a terrible passing during one of the messy nights. He had been under near the front of the line because of his confidence had led him to have lots of faith in our mission. Taylor, although at the beginning was one who didn't want to go to Vietnam the most, was the one who learned to accept it and flourish. He always knew where to avoid and knew where, to, where the enemy was hiding. Then what happened? But one night, it was so dark, and the ground was so rough and hilly. Taylor had to take a step too far to the left, where 
when the gun in front of him didn't step there. His foot slid into the hole and hit the head of the Viet Cong, and the next thing we knew, his leg was blown off by the sound of a gunshot. I pulled him out of there so fast. Oh my god, I didn't know that the war would be this bloody and terrifying. How can you not? My mom heard about all of the horrors that were being broadcasted all over TV. I'm always too busy with my own show to watch TV. Every new controversial thing that came up, I just started the discussion about it. Anyways, I was the last one who talked with him before he passed. He said how the government made a terrible decision to save another country at the sake of the people of ours. But also that his ability to fight in this war was a great experience because he had experienced fear. This fear made him understand that the world was in shambles and there was no place that is completely safe, not even back home. I completely agree with you. There are people here going crazy, buying bomb shelters, secretly stocking them up and making escape groups. In case of a Soviet bombing here, speaking to many about this war has definitely opened my eyes on how the American public feels about this war and that the American needs to listen to the people more. We put our trust in them to protect us, so we should get a say in what happens. The last thing he asked me to say is to the government. The time spent in Vietnam has made us realize just how beautiful and lucky we are to be living in America, but shows room for improvement throughout the whole world. Let's start now, but with us the United States, first, before lending a hand to other nations. Thank you so much for all of your strong words and amazing service. Now, after a break, I'll be having a chat with Gloria Steinem. Hello, everyone. So I am joined by Gloria Steinem, a famous American feminist and journalist. Gloria, how are you today? Great, thank you so much. Okay, so can you tell me about yourself and all of your accomplishments in the women's liberation movement? Yeah, so I'm a political activist and nationally recognized as a leader and spokeswoman for the feminist movement through columns under the New York Magazine and founding of the Mrs. Magazine. The publication of my article, After Black Power, Women's Liberation, gained me a large amount of fame underneath the women's rights movement as a feminist leader. I also co-founded the Women's Media Center with other individuals. I aim to gain recognition for my female cause as a part of the Women's, women's Political Caucus, delivering speeches on equality. Wow, that's pretty impressive. But I understand that you've also been through some hardships during the duration of your movements. So many, it's uncountable. First, I must bring up my political ventures, and I, many women in this movement, have advocated for is the Equal Rights Amendment, which I have extensively sought for through my work in testifying for the cause. The Equal Rights Amendment, ERA for short, was seen as the only way for feminists to eliminate all gender-based discrimination in our country. The ERA looked to establish equal rights for anyone underneath the United States, despite what gender they were, for Congress to be able to enforce and appropriate the idea of gender equality that it's necessary. But the ERA would only come into effect two years after ratification, which basically deemed it as a failure. Yeah, I totally get you. And I also think that many other prominent yet opposing individuals have been giving the women's liberation movement a hard time, like Jerry Falwell. Ah, Jerry. Jerry Falwell was the creator of the Moral Majority, which aimed to crush what they perceived as negative trends in American society. Promoting poor life ideology and the pro-family agenda, the Moral Majority aimed to squash the women's rights movement, gay rights, and abortion campaigns. The Moral Majority and Jerry Falwell created a large religiously Christian following through media, which spread their perspective across the nation. 
Jerry Falwell and his methods created controversy in which many groups of individuals were offended by the actions he took through the emergence of Christian fundamentalist growth in the nation. Well, at least all of the women have each other's backs, right? Oh, quite the contrary. One of our own movement's strongest opposing force is a woman herself. I know, right? Her name is Phyllis Galfi. Oh yeah, that conservative activist? Exactly. Phyllis held a strong social and political conservatism, which clashed with the modern ideology of feminism. Phyllis became an advocate against the ERA, forming the Stop ERA, which in contrast argued that the ERA would take away gender-specific privileges that women held, including dependent wife benefits under the social security and the lack of call to serve under a call of service. Phyllis argued that the installation of the ERA would force women into the military and focus primarily on the ideals of traditional gender roles while criticizing the lack of acknowledgement and welfare for older, divorced, or widowed women. I get that it's really hard to do this, but you guys made a lot of progress in the women's liberation movement. Oh, yeah, of course, such as the work of Betty Friedman and the Feminine Mystique. Betty Friedman amassed a compilation of surveys which compiled interviews with other suburban housewives after Frieden had surveyed her prior graduating college class who had stated that they are unhappy with their current lifestyle as housewives. The book led to Frieden to form the National Organization for Women, which became a leading feminist organization. The book gathered women across the nation to support the idea of the stereotyped household lifestyle, which was not ideal and that many wish to spread their convictions further than solely domestic affairs. That's pretty amazing. Gloria, I want to personally thank you for all of your wonderful contributions to the movement. It actually made a really tremendous impact on our society. Thank you so much. Welcome back, everyone. I'm currently here with Rosa Parks, who all of you may know as that woman who refused to sit in the back of a bus. Rosa, thank you so much for coming. No problem. Happy to be here. Okay, so let's talk about your infamous refusal to move, like that act of defiance that made you known as the mother of the civil rights movement. Everybody knows about the story, but could you actually give us a first-hand experience? Well, I boarded the bus after work. I was a seamstress at a department store and spent hours in front of the sewing machine. So you decided to not give up your seat because you were tired, right? No, I was not physically tired. I was tired of giving in. I was sitting in the first row of seats in the colored section, but because the white-only seats were full, the color section sign was moved behind my row, and I was ordered to move as well. The white driver waved his hand and said, let me have those seats. I moved, but toward the window seat. I felt a determination carve my body and thought of Emmett Till, and well, I couldn't go back. The driver said that he was going to call the police, and I said, you may do that. And that refusal to move forever changed your life. It did. I also understand that although you became a symbol for the civil rights movement, not everyone responded positively. Could you maybe describe the things that happened as a result of that? Well, for starters, I faced economic difficulties. I was fired from my job at the, de- at the department store a month after, while my husband quit his job after he was told that he couldn't talk about me, the boycott, or the legal case. I left Montgomery because I was not able to find work. And after moving to Hapton in Virginia, I was fortunate enough to get a job working as a hostess in an inn. I also faced death threats constantly. I moved to Detroit later, and though Detroit is supposed to be a more progressive city, I still encountered racism and am frequently discriminated against. I heard that in Detroit, your activism actually focused on socioeconomic issues, so what caused you to concentrate on this? 
In the South, racism was visibly apparent. Montgomery made the segregation very clear. There was violence, separate spaces, discrimination that was openly shown. In the North, things are different. Schools are segregated and do not have the same resources. There are barely any city services and neighborhoods are crowded. Poverty is common among African Americans and the city never addresses our needs. Socioeconomic issues are the bigger problem in cities in the North. So would you say that the housing issue is one of the main problems? Yes, in Detroit, black families are crowded in communities while white people are able to move to suburbs with loans, highways, and municipal services. African Americans who want to move to the suburbs face resistance from banks and realtors, and even if they do manage to move there, they experience hostility and violence. In the city, housing discrimination is widespread. Many of the buildings are old and made of wood, so fires are always happening. Garbage pickup comes once a week, which isn't sufficient in areas that are so crowded. Homes are destroyed for highway construction and urban renewal, which only benefits the whites. Unemployment is high, and because wages are so low, affordable housing is often unattainable. We do not have the support that is needed, and the problem only worsens as communities become more crowded and the buildings further deteriorate. Detroit has been pretty well known for its riots. The 1967 Detroit riot was a particularly high-profile incident, with thousands of people being injured and buildings being destroyed. Can you tell us more about that? The riot was caused by a police raid at a Blind Pig, which is an illegal after-hours drinking club. At the time of the raid, a party for returning Vietnam War veterans was occurring. The police arrested the patrons while a crowd gathered and protested as the patrons were being taken away. A small riot started as onlookers threw bottles, which escalated into a full-blown riot as shops were ransacked and fires broke out. This continued for five days. Violence spread, and though the police tried to blockade the area, it was no use. Federal troops came, which eventually ended the riot. And I get the feeling that this riot was a buildup of all the frustration African Americans felt as a result of the problems in the city. Yes, people felt resentment and anger towards what they were facing. Poverty, unemployment, and racism is so prevalent, and police brutality is something ordinary. Over 90% of the police force is white. They talk down to African Americans, calling men boys and women honey. They frequently make unwarranted searches and arrest people. The excessive force that the police commonly use explains why an incident erupted, and with so much racial tension, a large-scale riot was bound to happen. The riot was one of the catalysts for the Black Power Movement, which is about racial equality and fighting back. So, what are your thoughts on this movement? You're a key figure in the civil rights movement, and you're known for all your non-violent approaches. So, do you support Black Power and what it stands for? I absolutely support Black Power because Black Power values self-defense and standing up for oneself. The movement is about pride and challenging white superiority, which I advocate. There is no single approach that is successful, and if African Americans want to have justice, then they are free to get justice. I do not believe in gradualism, and whatever should be done for the better should not take forever to do. I believe in never accepting racism, and I am committed to fighting for rights. Thank you, Rosa. I wish the best of luck to you and your cause. I also want to thank all three of our speakers for today's show, and to all of our listeners back home. I'll see you until then. <laughs>